and welcome back to another Clarkson Bright and Jake's podcast, where this time we'll be discussing the numerous challenges we face with managing mental health in the workplace. To talk us through this particularly complex subject is Judith Curran, Partner and Head of Employment at Clarkson Wright and Jake's. Thanks, Judith, for joining us once again. It's all right, Chris. Thank you. Now, this is a big subject, so we're going to need to focus on some of the key points. But before we get into the detail, I've got some statistics for us. To start with, the Mental Health Foundation suggests that our working conditions and environment can have a huge impact on our mental health. And equally, someone's mental health can have a significant impact on their job performance. The Mental Health Foundation claimed that a staggering 15% of people will experience some form of mental health problems in the workplace, accounting for over 12% of all sickness absence in the UK. To put this in some kind of financial perspective, Deloitte's have done some research and they suggest that this costs UK employers over £45 billion each year in lost productivity, uh, sickness payments, so on and so forth. Although I suspect that this figure is rather conservative given that we've been in a global pandemic for the last 12 months or so. So this is a monumental problem, not only for UK businesses, but also for the UK economy as a whole. So Before we address these issues, I think we need to understand what is meant by workplace mental health. So, Judith, can you give us a broad overview of what we mean by mental health and whether mental health affords employees certain rights? Yeah, sure. Um, So from an employment perspective, uh, mental health issues are usually conditions such as anxiety, stress, depression, as well as a range of other psychological or psychiatric conditions when a person would be under the care of their GP, a psychologist, or maybe a psychiatrist. In recent years, as you say, pardon me, Chris, um, UK workplaces have experienced what has been described as an epidemic of mental health illness, with research suggesting that absence from work due to mental health was the fastest rising cause of absence from work, with some 59% of all long-term absences due to mental ill health and 54% related to stress. So it is, as you say, now the main reason for sickness absence in the UK workforce. Mental health issues will nearly always be a disability under the Equality Act 2010. The Equality Act underpins the protections that are afforded to individuals with a protected characteristic such as mental health illness. The Equality Act also sets out a test for disability, the meaning of disability in the law and what that is, and it can be briefly described as being a mental or physical impairment which lasts or is likely to last 12 months or more and which has a substantial adverse impact on day-to-day life. There's no requirement for um, a named medical condition and a set of symptoms by themselves can be deemed to be a disability. So just because a fit note doesn't set out a medical condition or name a medical condition, that doesn't mean that it won't or cannot constitute a disability under the law. The test for a disability in the Equality Act is actually relatively easy for most people to meet. And most people with a mental health issue you know, may struggle with normal day-to-day tasks and often mental health problems are lifelong. They have a long-term and substantial adverse impact on a person's ability to live a normal day-to-day life. 
So it's very likely that most people suffering with a mental health condition would be deemed to be disabled within the Equality Act and therefore have that protection um, in terms of disability discrimination claims. In the context of work, people commonly become ill with mental health issues because of bad management, um, excessive workloads, a poor workplace culture, poor workplace relationships, bullying or harassment. Employees and others as well, such as candidates for employment or workers who work with you in your organisation, are also protected from less favourable treatment due to a disability. Um, Disability-related claims lift the statutory caps on compensation in the employment tribunal, so these are very expensive claims that a business might have to deal with. Less favourable treatment can be direct or indirect, um, as well as other forms of discrimination. Direct discrimination is where an employee suffers a detriment because of their disability. It can also be indirect, as I've said, which happens when an employer introduces a policy or criteria which disproportionately impacts on a particular group of employees. So, for example, if you had a car park and you allowed your employees to use it, uh, some of those employees might have, say, mobility issues. But if you took away the right to use the car park, it would disproportionately impact on people with mobility issues. And that could give rise to a claim for indirect uh, discrimination on the grounds of a disability. So you need to be very mindful as an employer um, about making changes to policy and process um, and consider its impact on all of your employees. The spirit of the Equality Act and its predecessor, the Disability Discrimination Act, was always to assist people with disabilities to remain in their employment. And that is fundamentally the obligation on the employer under the Act. It's to, where reasonably possible, protect employment for people who are living with disabilities. Okay, so... Employees have um, certain employment protections, as you've just gone through, um, and also employers have a very clear responsibility to safeguard the health and well-being of their employees. Um, but with this in mind, what steps should an employer take when managing mental health issues? And in particular, we hear a lot about reasonable adjustments in the workplace. So what is meant by a reasonable adjustment? Yeah, you're absolutely right. There is a wider duty of care for employers to protect um, the health and safety of their employees to provide a safe place of work. However, where an employee is off work with a mental health issue, it's equally important to manage um, that, that employee's absence. Very often we see claims made by employees who complain that throughout their absence on sick leave that their employer just didn't contact them. They didn't reach out to see how they were or to support a return to work. And it's often the case that employers feel that they cannot contact an employee who is on sick leave. Uh, mental health issues are not always apparent, so it's always best practice for an employer to seek uh, professional medical or occupational health advice. Once an employee has been off for, say, six to eight weeks or so, an employer should be thinking about arranging occupational health report or seeking an update from the employee's GP or, or consultant to get an update on their medical condition, their treatment, their care plan, and seeking advice on how to get that employee back to work. As part of the report, you can ask specifically, the employer can ask specifically, um, for advice on changes or adjustments that would help that employee to come back to work. And those are commonly known as reasonable adjustments. 
The Equality Act sets out that the employer has a duty only, it's only a duty to consider those reasonable adjustments, the changes that they can make to help an employee with a disability return to work and remain in their employment. Um, as part of an absence management process, it involves getting that medical advice, getting that advice and input from medical professionals um, about the help that could be provided. That's really important and occupational health teams or GPs or consultants are in the best place to provide that information to your business. Reasonable adjustments can include things such as changing the working pattern, providing equipment or aids to support work. The obligation, as I say, is to consider if those changes are reasonable for your business given its size and resources. Um, some changes or adjustments will not cost anything to the employer, so they will nearly always be deemed to be reasonable changes that an employer could make, such as um, changing hours of work or start times or, or duties to some extent. Um, it might not, however, be reasonable for a small employer to pay out for a very expensive piece of, say, software or equipment to support perhaps just one employee, so that would not be deemed usually to be a reasonable adjustment. Um, the process involves the employee as well. You, they can share their thoughts on what changes could be made to help them back to work, to remain in work, to be more effective at work, and whether those changes are temporary or permanent. Um, another important reasonable adjustment to consider is your tolerance to absence levels. Um, employers will always need to allow an employee with a disability a higher level of sickness absence than other able-bodied employees because it's often the case that a person with a disability, including mental health issues, will be absent more often due to their ill health. Um, employers should always take that into consideration and uh, take account of that before starting formal capability or disciplinary procedures uh, for absence-related reasons and indeed for any performance-related reasons as well. Uh, once an employer has a medical or occupational health report, they should be arranging um, return to work meetings with the employee to consider it, to agree on a plan to return to work. If the changes don't work and you find the employee continues to be absent even with the adjustments, then you can, as an employer, begin to move towards a capability uh, dismissal process. It's always really important to seek um, legal advice about these procedures as I mentioned earlier, disability discrimination claims are uncapped compensation claims. Um, it's really important to seek early advice about um, managing people with disabilities, and particularly if you're thinking of having to terminate employment. So seeking early advice about that is important. Um, other ways to provide support to employees is, as I mentioned, keeping in touch with them is really important unless their medical advisor tells you not to. It isn't the case that an employer cannot contact an employee who's off work sick, and I think that that's a fairly common misconception with a lot of employers. Consider um, an employee assistance program, buddy and mentoring schemes, a mental health first aider, and make sure that employees who, who are suffering with mental health issues are also signposted to information and assistance that is available to them. For instance, many mental health charities provide information to employers about mental health issues um, that their employees might be suffering with and give sort of practical tips and information about how you can help manage somebody living with a disability or mental health issue. The Access to Work scheme also provides funding to employers to, make, to help make changes for employees uh, with disabilities.
Also, training managers to respond appropriately to disclosures from employees about mental health is really important. A research shows that employees who feel safe and confident to speak openly to their managers about their mental health actually are able to reduce their levels of absence. So how confident are you that your managers would respond appropriately in a meeting with an employee or indeed even in an interview situation where a candidate chooses to disclose a mental health issue? Remember that notes made in meetings can be disclosed in an employment tribunal claim as part of a discrimination claim. Um, Unguarded or inappropriate comments, emails, text messages can all be used against an employer in these types of cases and which can also cause significant reputational damage and problems because many employees are now posting on social media or review sites such as Glassdoor, for instance, about their experiences with employers. Finally, I suppose just in relation to this um, part of the podcast, the Department for Work and Pensions has a disability confidence scheme, good practice guide and practical tips for line managers on recruiting, managing and developing people with a disability. Um, That includes mental health issues. Employers um, should be reviewing their policies about diversity and inclusion and also on recruitment, training, promotion, uh, performance management, sickness absence management and assessing the impact of these on any employees that you have with mental health problems and making changes to those policies um, if, you're, if you think you need to. Okay, so thanks, Judith. It, there seems to be a lot of tools at our disposal, a lot of strategies that we can adopt um, and a lot of resources out there to help us manage employees who are, who are suffering when at work due to mental health issues. But if we just flip that for a second, how as a responsible employer should we go about supporting our employees who, due to their own mental health issues, cannot work? Mm. I think that this can be very difficult for both the employer and the employee. And often, even with changes in place, an employee may simply not be able to continue to work to the standard required for the role. Um, Their illness may require them to be absent for long periods of time or just periods of time that are more than your business can tolerate um, or or accept. Um, And it will have an impact on the company. It also has an impact on their colleagues. It may cause increased levels of stress on other team members, on other employees who are picking up the slack and also just increased workload on other teams. Some employers will have in place uh, benefits such as income protection policies or long-term sickness policies, which provide a certain level of income to employees on long-term sickness absence and who are incapacitated to work. Unfortunately, it isn't always possible to support employees in this way, and employers may have to consider a termination of employment on the grounds of lack of capacity to do the role. So, as I said earlier, it is possible to do that, and it would be really taking legal advice about that before you went down that road. Um, Employers are only required, again, as I mentioned, to consider reasonable adjustments and to implement those adjustments where they can, but there is a limit to that. Um, employers can also bear in mind that if they're looking at severance or a termination package for an employee absent with a disability, that it is possible for uh, all of that compensation to be paid tax-free and that it is possible to get uh, tax clearance to be granted by HMRC. Um, And again, that's something that um, we can certainly um, assist with. Um, Okay, so the last question for Mm -hmm. this particular podcast, and this is one that I've been asked over the years working in HR is um, can I 
And if so, how do I manage an employee's poor performance if they are experiencing mental health issues? Tricky one. It is, absolutely. And again, I think it can be incredibly difficult for both parties at times. Um, However, mental health or a disability doesn't mean that an employer cannot manage poor performance. Um, The employer must, of course, take into consideration the impact of any mental health issue on an employee's ability to work, to carry out their day-to-day tasks, which others might take for granted. However, if an employer does this and gives additional time and support to assist employees improve their performance, then even with a disability, there is no bar to disciplinary sanction for poor performance or even dismissal. The process will take longer. It's a good idea to get occupational health involved or a report from the employee's GP so that the business is fully informed of the impact of ill health on the employee and their ability to do their job. And it will demonstrate as well later in any dispute with that employee that these issues were considered, they were accommodated during a performance management process. It reduces the risk of claims for discrimination or unfair dismissal and will put an employer in a better position to defend any such claims further down the line. Okay, great stuff. Thanks, Judith. Um, I think we'll leave it there for today. Um, As I said at the beginning of the podcast, we were going to focus on some of the key points, and I think we've done that today, on what is an incredibly important topic um, that has a considerable impact for both businesses and their people. Um, In summary, just to wrap up, I think it's widely recognised that businesses perform better when their staff are committed, motivated, and as we've been discussing today, healthy. Um, Responsible employers generally recognise the need to create an environment where mental health issues can be openly discussed, as Judith referred to earlier. Um, And where employees who are experiencing mental health problems can receive adequate support to help them both cope and recover. Um, So that's it for today. As ever with our podcast, we aim to give general information on important topics facing UK businesses Where complex issues arise, we would always suggest seeking specialist legal advice. On behalf of myself and Judith, we hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast edition. If you haven't already done so, you can listen to the first podcast in the series where we discuss transitioning employees back into the workplace following COVID-19 restrictions being eased. And you can find that podcast along with this one on our website, which is www.c wj.co.uk we'll be recording and posting another podcast in may so hopefully you can join us for that one but until then thanks for listening and goodbye